Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Girl, I wanna be your goddamn idol And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard For the same motherfucking title But I Welcome back, prom party. Oh, it's going to get magical. Is it? Not really, actually. <laughs> it's it's fairy tale, but like not really fairies. <laughs> no, no, not at all. This yeah. is this is just reality. This isn't magic. This is this is a really reality tale. A reality instead of tale? a fairy tale. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, cool. Let's go with that. <laughs> all right. So y'all have been asking for this episode for quite some time. And given everything that's been going on the last couple of weeks with my oral surgery, we decided, you know what, this is the window. We need something that we could just record ourselves. So we're giving you the gift of 2004's A Cinderella Story. Yeah, yeah, we are. (laughs) (laughs) So Harmony, what knowledge did you have of A Cinderella Story until we sat down to watch it for the show? I mean, I think I've seen the box art of like Mm -hmm. Hilary Duff on hunky plain boys back like piggyback Mm -hmm. in the dress and uh i thought quite incorrectly that this was a disney movie it is not a disney movie despite the liz mcguire connection of hillary duff and cinderella uh this this feels like gimmick infringement (laughs) like this feels like one of those it's like an anastasia or a swan princess but live action in that it's like what if we just make a really Disney-like movie that isn't Disney? So, yes. A Cinderella Story has all of the DNA of what feels like a Disney movie, especially at this time period. Like, this feels kind of like a Disney Channel original movie. Mm-hmm. But it is not. This is a Warner Brothers movie. Yes. Which I think is pretty wild. And A Cinderella Story, for those that don't know, um, had a pretty decent su- success at the box office. It mm-hmm. made about $70 million against a budget of 19 So, you know, that's pretty pretty good. Um, but more importantly, this has sparked a legacy. Um, there have been multiple uh, direct-to-video or direct-to-streaming sequels. Yeah, aren't there like five? <laughs> yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of them. So after there was obviously a Cinderella story, there was another Cinderella story with Selena Gomez. There was a Cinderella story, Once Upon a Song, with Lucy Hale. There was a Cinderella story, If the Shoe Fits, with Sophia Carson. A Cinderella Story, Christmas Wish with Laura Morano, and A Cinderella Story, Starstruck with Bailey Madison, and that one came out in 2021. So everybody's like one and done with this franchise. They, they come in, they get their respective Cinderella Story, and then they scooch. Yes. And also, Selena Gomez is also here, and it is still not a Disney thing. Yeah, there were a couple of young actors in this series that are Disney kids, or at least have appeared on Disney shows. Mm-hmm. I think Lucy Hale is the only one who wasn't, um, but that's just, you know, 
That's just how it worked. Something else that I also think is very interesting is Hillary Duff's also the only blonde one. Sure, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, many <laughs> many of the actresses are Latina and have like really dark, beautiful brown hair, which I have always found really interesting because I think that's why a Cinderella story feels so much like gimmick infringement because it plays into the blonde Cinderella okay. and the later films do not. They just kind of play off of the Cinderella fairy tale, which obviously Disney does not own. I'm pretty sure that the only way it would have been like in deep trouble is if her dress would have been blue, I think they would have had a shit fit. Oh, it's like how Alice is in the public domain, except for when it's blue dress Alice. Or Winnie the Pooh in a red shirt. Yeah, that yeah. um whatever Winnie the Pooh horror movie that's Blood I'm, and Honey. I am not psyched for it seems like a college <laughs> humor joke from ten years ago, mm-hmm. but it's gonna be on for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. So maybe it maybe it'll be fine. I don't know. Um, the public domain is going to get very interesting in the coming decades. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you there. So my introduction to a Cinderella story was when it came out. I saw this in theaters for a friend's birthday party. That's what we did. We went and saw a Cinderella story and then we went home and played video games and watched more movies and ate popcorn. And sure. that was that was our sleepover. This, this feels like a sleepover kind of movie. Very much like so. A, but for like a younger teen. Yeah. Like a 12, 13 year old is probably the, the like the right on the bullseye of where they want to Yeah, I think we were 13 or 14. Yeah. Um, it depends on the month. I don't remember. But that was a that was a movie we watched. We had a good time with it. We were all big Lizzie McGuire fans because this is the movie that came after Hilary Duff's stint on Lizzie McGuire. This is when she was sort of pivoting to being a pop star and sort of leaving her Disney roots behind. And there sure is a Hilary Duff song in this in this mm-hmm. movie. It's, of course, the final one. <laughs> yeah, so Hilary Duff has been an actor for a while. Her first role is in Casper Meets Wendy. She's Wendy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very cute little live-action Casper movie. So I don't want to go too much into the context that you're going to be bringing up, but I know the year before was Cheaper by the Dozen, the Lizzie McGuire movie, and Agent Cody Bangs. And Cheaper by the Dozen and Lizzie McGuire movie are obviously Disney movies. Mm -hmm. So this was her first, like, real role after leaving the Disney machine. So this is a big deal for her. This feels like the transitional thing where it's like, well, it's Disney, but it's not really Disney. Yes, absolutely. Disney-flavored. Yes. Off-brand Disney. (laughs) Generic Disney. Yeah, we we have Disney at home. (laughs) that's mean this movie's not that bad (laughs) so speaking of context though like what can you bring to the table about what was going on culturally in like 2004 so we've done a few movies from 2004 but this is uh there's this ebb and flow around the turn of the millennium where you get post 1999 and it peaks there and then it goes into this lull for the 2000s and like 2001 and then 9-11 happens, and then everything gets really weird for a couple of years. And the only thing in that period that succeeds really on, like, a larger scale is Disney teens. So, like, young adolescent teen films. Um, you obviously have your, like, more edgy ones that will succeed. Um, just this year, we have stuff like Saved and Mean Girls, which changes the game forever. Right. But this is this is still very much a time where... The Disney brand becomes the brand for, like, teen girls. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a a phenomenal documentary um, by Defunctland that is about the Disney Channel. And it discusses, like, none of the shows. It's all, um, it's, it's about trying to unravel the mystery of who wrote the Disney Channel jingle. So if you want to go ahead and look at, like, the Disney machine, even though this isn't Disney, 
that's where Hillary Duff's coming from. Mm-hmm. And this feels very Disney. And that sort of is how you understand like the adolescent girl experience during this period. So Disney uh, was inconsistent for a number of years prior to 2004. Pretty much since the late 90s up until now, their theatrical releases were a bit all over the place. And that's when they had pivoted out of the animation blockbusters that they were putting out consistently into like, well, we'll start doing uh, we'll start doing lower budget theatrical releases of our Disney Channel cartoons. We'll start focusing more on direct to video sequels, which are also lower budget. Um, the Disney Channel went from in 1997 went from being a premium channel like HBO to being a cable channel. And in 2001, it rebranded into what we would understand as the Disney Channel. Right. This so, is this is where we're going to get into like peak decom territory. That's where they start focusing on young personalities and Disney celebrities. Mm -hmm. That's where you have all of your Lizzie McGuire types. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of would carry on for even for several years past when this movie comes out. But that's sort of where I think the zeitgeist of the teen girl experience in like a large American mainstay mainstream way is molded. Yeah, this is the, the Y2K Disney Channel aesthetic is the same aesthetic that we had at like Limited 2, which mm-hmm. then became Justice. If you know the store Justice, that's what Limited 2 used to be. Where there was like this look, like the way that people describe things as being like, oh, they all look like CW stars now. Mm-hmm. In the 2000s, it was the Disney Channel. Yep. And we say this a hundred million times in the show, but people still complain every single time. We are obviously speaking in broad generalizations. We are not saying this was the only culture. We are not saying this is the only aesthetic. We are saying when we think about this specific time period, the dominant mainstream culture, this is what people were trying to captivate. Mm -hmm. And it was very highly influenced by the Disney Channel. Mm -hmm. And so that's very much kind of what we got with this movie. And you're totally right in describing it as like, oh, we have Disney at home. Like, they were so clearly trying to profit off of almost the confusion of, like, people are probably going to think this is a Disney movie because it's the biggest star that that channel had. The Lizzie McGuire show was so fucking popular. Like, people don't realize how popular it was. It's one of the shows that started the the building block of not canceling Disney shows after three seasons because they were like, we should have let this run forever, but they didn't. They fucked up Mm -hmm. and they canceled it after three seasons. And it was the Disney show that put that network on the map. Mm -hmm. Because prior to that, they were trying like preschool sort of Nick Jr. style stuff. They were running old classics from them, but like this this is what pushed them in terms of like original content. Yeah, Liz McGuire like really, really pushed it. So by having the paired association of Hilary Duff with Cinderella, one of the most recognizable Disney things of all time. It's Walt Disney's favorite fairy tale. Exactly. Um, People obviously were like, oh, we got it. Like this is the, this is the clever way of how we talk about how things like Swan Princess or the Don Bluth movies, like grandparents bought them thinking they were Disney movies and they were not. Like that's what a Cinderella story did. I think for an entire generation, which is brilliant marketing. I mean, it, it makes sense, especially because so much of the Disney at home, like, Disney was focusing their stuff on home at home. Their mm-hmm. theatrical releases, they were putting out like Teachers Pet the Movie, mm-hmm. which like nobody wanted that. They had, they had the Recess Movie, School's Out. They had DCOMs. Like Disney was focusing on the, cha- it was built around the Disney Channel 
And that's what was pushing that mm-hmm. whole brand forward for most of the 2000s. Yep. Absolutely. And something else that I wanted to bring up while we're talking about context is who directed this, which is a guy named Mark Rosman. Mark Rosman has kind of exclusively worked in the teen sphere and has done some really impactful works. So he launched his career with The House on Sorority Row. And I'm talking about the slasher film from the 80s, not the new Sorority Row from 2009, the one from the 80s, which is a cult classic. People love it. It is so hilarious. If you are any of our friends who also listen to Attack of the Queer Wolf, the line in their theme song of, how do we know she is alive, is from that movie. So it's the one I haven't seen Versus the one that I have seen and sort of wish that I'd slept through. Yes. Okay, got it. Because I did not much care for the remake. (laughs) Yes. Um, So after he did the slasher film, um, he also then started doing some Disney Channel films. Did The Blue Yonder. He was uh, supposed to do Spot Marks the X, but then the Writers Guild went on strike. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he did some other like action movies. But where, where he matters to us for the purpose of this show. Yes is in 1998, he co-wrote the script and directed the film Life Size, which we will absolutely do on the show at some well, point. Well, all right then. With Tyra Banks, you know, that's the the Barbie, not mm-hmm. Barbie. And then he also directed the television film Model Behavior, which is one of my favorite, like, made-for-TV movies that has, like, a weird post-in-sync Justin Timberlake, like, when he was trying to be an actor for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also then led on to do A Cinderella Story. Um, the next year, he did The Perfect Man, which also has Hilary Duff. He also had directed episodes of Lizzie McGuire and Even Stevens and Ghost Whisperer. Uh, the new Alfred Hitchcock presents State of Grace and Greek. So he has done a he lot, does a of, lot stuff. of different things. Yes, mm-hmm. he's done a lot of stuff that's very important um, in terms of the DNA of this show, which I think is very cool. Um, but before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon patreon.com backslash this ends at prom over at our patreon we offer things like our schedule ahead of time wonderful playlists curated by harmony our sadie hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies and we are currently going through our tv homecoming series through pen 15 we offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only one dollar If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. All righty. So for those who have somehow not seen a Cinderella story, I'm sure you could assume what this is about because it's Cinderella but modern. Mm Mm-hmm. But here is your plot synopsis. Routinely exploited by her wicked stepmother, the downtrodden Samantha Montgomery is excited about the prospect of meeting her internet beau at the school's Halloween dance. Okay. I mean, sure. Yeah, that's more or less what happens. I do love that the school dance is a Halloween dance, so I guess this is technically a Halloween movie. Mm -hmm. But it really feels like, hey, you know Romeo plus Juliet when they had that whole masquerade party thing? How do we put that in this movie? Well, we don't just have teens doing masquerade parties, I guess. So Halloween. Yeah, like they had to make it a co-Halloween homecoming dance so that they could 
also name somebody king and queen, but also have an excuse to have her wear a masquerade mask. Uh huh. Um, just ridiculous. I will say I do love the uh, the, the costumes at this place in particular. Um, there's several furries. Several like full like mascot suit furries. I, I like the I like the shark furry myself. Um, I think he's pretty great. I like the one that looks like a Tex Avery Wolf. Um, a big fan of him. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my one of my favorite games of who are the people in the background and what are they dressed as. Uh, mm-hmm. Always a fan. Uh, this is a great party for that, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Yes. So let's start off by talking about Samantha Sam Montgomery. How do you feel about Sam? I think she's not like other girls, but also exactly like other girls. <laughs> yeah. So this movie does a thing that I have I have very mixed feelings on. So the first thing is that she has a gender-neutral nickname. Mm-hmm. That's how you know she's, like, a cool girl. She wears she's, pants. She wears pants, and her name is Sam. Uh-huh. And, like, that's not to knock anybody who goes by a gender-neutral name. I obviously do. Uh, for those that don't know, PJ is <laughs> not my actual name. It's my initials. And my actual name is far more feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely not a knock on that by any stretch of the imagination. But it definitely seems like a writing trope that happens where in order to have the girl be viewed as, like, the girl next door or the not like other girls, she also has to have a neutral name or at least a name that can be shortened to something neutral. Yes. It, this feels a little bit like, um, dare I say, right on the nose, um, you know, she wears high heels, I wear sneakers. Mm-hmm. She's cheer captain and I'm on the bleachers. Look, we are in peak that era of the 2000s. We so are and... Oh, so many things in this movie. I was quoting lines as they were happening, having never seen this movie. It was actually really <laughs> funny. Um, the amount of lines that you just predicted that people were going to say as they were saying it, because... I think I'm becoming an expert now. It's yeah, like, I, I move you've like watched they do. enough. <laughs> I've become one with the Matrix and I move like they do. <laughs> because here's a thing I'm just going to say off the top of it. A Cinderella story is kind of a paint-by-numbers movie for Mm -hmm. me. Like, I know what the beats are. I know what I'm getting out of it. I know how it's going to function. I mean, it's it's an interpretation of a fairy tale. It's very similar in that regard to Sidney White. I think it has a little less teeth than Sidney White. Well, these are high school kids, not college-age kids. Right. And they are still trying to capture a Disney market. Yes. So it's a little bit sanitized. It's slightly edgier. Slightly. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say specifically with like the bimbo vibes of Jennifer Coolidge are a little bit edgier. Oh God, I love it so But also much. it's like <laughs> still a really tame Jennifer Coolidge. Yes. Like this is a, this is a very like, very sugar coated, edgy reboot of a fairy tale. So like, I'm fine with it. They're it has, not reinventing the wheel. It has edges in the sense that like, everything has edges. It has edges <laughs> in the <laughs> sense that like, if you suck on a Jolly Rancher enough, it can get really sharp, like, but it's still candy. A, a dinner plate has an edge. <laughs> Like, I don't know. <laughs> Not very sharp. <laughs> yeah. So when we meet Sam, Sam is just her and her dad. Sam's really into baseball. And it's funny because there's like these baseball metaphors that pop up, but like are barely there. Like it's mm-hmm. not really in the, th- like it's in the through line, but like she's not on the baseball team or anything like that. So it just feels like this random, like, remember tomboy kind her of dad thing. dad liked baseball and right. not to be a stickler, but her swing's pretty bad. Like she needs to get under that <laughs> ball and she can't do it. Like I, I was criticizing her thing. I was like, come on, choke up on that bat. Really 
I was bad at baseball, but I know at least enough from what I got yelled at all the time. <laughs> you gotta dig. Go deep. You want to drive it? You gotta go hit it from under. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's just Sam and Dad, and Dad then meets Fiona, who is a brunette Jennifer Coolidge, and she's got these like horrible twin daughters. And we see from the very beginning that Fiona has always had it out for Sam, but Dad somehow didn't notice that. This is one trope that drives me bananas. Is the dad never knows? Is the dad never notices how horrible yeah. like the woman that they're he's marrying is, and it's like, come on, guy. Like, mm-hmm. I know that we live in a culture where we're like, dads are stupid oafs that don't ever know what's in front of them. Come on, I mean, like. I- I'm trying to remember. I don't remember exactly how people die typically in the original Cinderella. Um, I'm willing to bet that they don't get twisted, though. <laughs> you were losing it when you realized that that's what happened. Well, yeah, I was just like, wait, so this the opening to a Cinderella story is just the opening to Twister, but it's an earthquake. And you go, well, yeah, he has to die somehow. I'm like, okay, no, I get that. I just wasn't expecting natural disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it's one of those things because we always paint these dads as like, oh my God, he was the best dad in the world. He was so wonderful. And it's like, if he was that good, how did he not notice he was marrying the devil? Rose-colored glasses. Yeah, I get it. Um, So yes, dad dies because it is a Cinderella story and dad's got to go. So Cinderella, our Sam, is with her stepmother, Fiona. And um, I I love Jennifer Coolidge so much. And I want to talk about Fiona. How do you feel about her? I wish... She went harder. I agree. Not Jennifer Coolidge. I think she did everything she was supposed to. I wish the writing went harder. She's she's not quite mean enough. She's not quite like bimbo-y. And mind you, this is like post-American Pie. She is the MILF. She yes. is the MILF that made everyone learn what MILF meant. Mm-hmm. And the first episode of the new year, we're going to talk more about that. But she's so reserved in this. She's so pulled back. In this, which like for something that's designed probably for like 12, 13 year old adolescent girls, that's fine. But it doesn't go hard enough for me, Mm -hmm. especially knowing what Jennifer Coolidge is capable of. Yeah. And we're also we're a few years removed from Legally Blonde at this point, too. And she's got a lot of Legally Blonde-esque outfits. Yeah, she really does. There's a lot of Elle Woods outfits in this because she wears a lot of hot pink. Mm -hmm. It's great. Um, but no, I agree with you. Like this very much feels like the extent that a Disney movie, even though this is not Disney, but the extent that a Disney movie would be willing to go with this type of character, like she's harsh. She's harsh, but with a smile. She's harsh, but with a smile. Yes, she's she's very shallow. Um, because we are in the 2000s, there is a lot of plastic surgery jokes at her expense. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. I can't move my face because of Botox. <laughs> and, I can't move it for another hour and a half. And I go back and forth about those sorts of characters in this time period specifically. Because on one hand, I have such an affinity for people who get plastic surgery that fucking own that they have plastic surgery. Oh, yeah. It's why I like Jennifer Coolidge. It's why I love Joan Rivers. Like, if you are going to get that, like, love Dolly Cher. Parton, Cher. Like, when people get that much Kill work it. done and they're just like, yeah, of course I got work done. Like, what the fuck? Like, Amanda Lepore. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Amanda like, Lepore, too. I think, I think that shit's tight. Um, I think it's kind of, it's pretty badass. Um, the thing is, like, it's such a common trope, uh, especially because we hate femme and sexual women oh, during God. the 2000s. We hate femmes and so in that's the 2000s. sort of what it feels like we're villainizing every other woman in this movie a little bit. Yes. Uh, anyone who doesn't work at the diner and they're a woman, they're sort of the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't love that. 
I also will say, though, that having an extremely shallow character like this, having a character that's obsessed with plastic surgery like this, it makes sense to set this in Los Angeles. Very much so. And there's a lot of weird, like, little digs that happen throughout the movie that, again, I have mixed feelings on because... When I watch Jennifer Coolidge in this, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, she's owning it. She's owning her Botox. I love this. Mm-hmm. But there are so many people who will view that and go, oh, well, if she's making fun of herself, that means I can also make fun of her. And it's like, that's not how that works. Like, no, no, no. no. She's aware <laughs> that she's in a tanning bed outside on a sunny day. Right. That's funny. You right. don't get it. Right. You don't get to make that joke at her expense, but she can make that joke about herself. She's allowed to reclaim that. It's not your job to make the judgment call. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're absolutely right that the femme hate of the 2000s was so out of control. And because this is set in Los Angeles, like, we do have these little moments because we have – uh, you know, our our Prince Charming talking about girls and talking about like, oh, I just want to find a girl that's real that cares more about like how many calories she ate that day or whatever he just, phrases oh it God, as. Oh God, I don't remember exactly what it is, but I was I was quote, gonna quote it so hard and then I did. It's like, yeah, well, I love a girl with an appetite. Most girls they go out to dinner, they only order salad. I like a girl who can put it away. Yeah, like, I think he order a like, burger. I think it's like, do you want like I think sushi or a burger or something uh-huh. like that? And she when they're goes, playing twenty questions. Yeah, and she's like, oh, a burger. And he's like, I like a girl who can eat. And we both are like, yeah, you like a girl who can eat unless she's fat. Like, like she- <laughs> you want a girl who can eat who still looks thin. Yes. <laughs> then <laughs> like, it's okay, you, dude. Like I mean, just like. <sighs> It's not probably not his fault. His dad is not is a very uh, particular kind of man in terms of image and legacy. So like that's something that's probably passed on to him. So I get it. Um, I will say that a, a thing as far as like Los Angeles and how these two sort of intersect is that um, it is interesting that these two have jobs and are like working when I mm-hmm. believe all of their classmates are are affluent and come from money. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of fancy cars and daddy's wallets and sort of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so have, these two having, like, careers and her being sort of dunked on by her classmates as diner girl, in most parts of the country, you know, middle America, the South, the Midwest, just pretty much anywhere that isn't an affluent neighborhood, I think it's really funny for them to make fun of her for something that is really, really common because that speaks to who this film's supposed to kind of be for. Because when we talk about, like, the Disney Channel and the the, the image of teendom as a whole, it is middle America and the Midwest and parts of the South where it's like, that's the Disney brand. That's the people mm-hmm. they want. That's, the, that's, that's the every man, the, yes. the, the anybody, the anybody in nowhere, anywhere. And that's what makes Sam immediately identifiable for so many people because we all have after school jobs too. Mm-hmm. So that makes us feel like we can connect we're, to her. We're on her side and we've been put down by all of the people and their hobnobbing and opulence too. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, I think that that's great because like Hillary Duff fills this like very specific niche of like her character works at a diner, so therefore she feels like an everyman kind of character. There's diners in every city in America. Yes, There's diners on the side of the highway. <laughs> but at the same time, she's still fucking Hillary Duff, and like she is the peak of like the quote unquote like American girl next door. She's blonde. She's pretty. She has good teeth. She's mm-hmm. really plucky. Um, so something that I found she's very the idealized version of that. Yes. 
Yeah. So something I found very interesting is that when I was doing a little bit of research for this movie, I read some reviews. This movie has like a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, which I do not think is fair. I think that's way too harsh. I think it's very mean. Um, I think it speaks to the fact that people sort of expect more out of teens, but this is towards the early part of making teen films Mm -hmm. more towards younger people, like preteens. Yeah, this is a tween film. Yeah, that that was going to become much more popular throughout the 2000s. Yes. And I think that's the metric that things would be judged on moving forward. But something that I saw brought up consistently in a lot of these reviews is how many people said that this movie is unrealistic because someone who looks like Hilary Duff would never be somebody who is made fun of or would never Mm -hmm. be somebody that is viewed as like not the most popular girl in school. And I have two minds about this. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, Yes, I do understand that. And I do have a deep distaste for how often, like we talked about this a lot in our Duff episode, where a character is positioned as being dorky or ugly or fat or whatever, and the actor playing them is none of those things. Mm -hmm. And that is really obnoxious and I'm tired of it. But that is not how Sam is being presented. Sam is not being presented as being ugly or unlikable or whatever. She's being presented as poor. Uh-huh. And the thing that a lot of critics, and these this was both male critics and female critics, yeah, pretty privilege exists, but that is not the end-all be-all for, for people, especially in a high school hierarchy. You don't get scooped out of squalor because you have a nice smile. No, you don't. Like, there are plenty of people who are, like, beautiful human beings but if they're alternative they don't get to be popular if they are poor and look it they don't get to be popular Mm -hmm. there were girls and this is gonna sound so horrible and mean girl but i'm just gonna be honest about it there were girls that were the quote-unquote popular girls in my school that i beat in beauty pageants Mm -hmm. to the point where they stopped competing because they were tired of getting beaten by me because i was like a weird goth girl the fat girl and i was fat and they were like we don't like losing to her you weren't even fat yeah i wasn't and it's just it's but that's like the warp minds of the 2000s yeah so like there but those were the popular girls it didn't matter that i beat them in literal beauty pageants i still wasn't popular Mm -hmm. so like hillary duff yes is beautiful and like one of the most beautiful women today still she's gorgeous Mm -hmm. but she's in this world where money talks and she works at a diner Mm -hmm. so yeah i absolutely believe they're gonna make fun of her her best friend carter is a weirdo theater kid who dresses like a different character every day and that's her best friend of course if that's the company she keeps they're gonna make fun of her Mm -hmm. like and it's just this really frustrating thing where we put this narrative out in the world where it's like like yes like beauty is currency we understand that but there that doesn't mean that your life suddenly is devoid of all problems because you fit into a conventionally attractive mold you still have shit that you have to deal with and high school still sucks it sucks for everybody it sucks worse for some people but i hate the narrative that someone who looks like hillary duff could not have felt othered or or felt pushed out by the fringes of her society because she happens to be pretty. I think that that's I think that's a really shitty narrative to push. I swear, people like Shelby and Austin are genetically programmed to find each other. How can so much ego be in one relationship? Imagine what they say about you. They don't even know I exist. Ew! Stalkerazzi at three o'clock. The white zone is for cool people only. 
No geeks. Hey, uh, diner girl, can I get a breakfast burrito to go? Thank you. And you thought they didn't even know you existed. And I mean, let's let's even look at Carter here, where he also he comes from money. His da- his dad's got a lot of money. He's got like Mercedes or whatever, and he lets him. It's implied that he's totaled like three cars, and that has not like completely ruined their family. Yes, he he comes from a great deal of wealth, and the thing is, he's extremely unpopular. Uh, he sings show tunes and gets made fun of for it. Mm-hmm. But his wealth isn't seen as a benefit. His wealth is seen as the standard. Mm-hmm. That, that's the metric you're working on. It's like, well, if you have a lot of money, why aren't you popular? And it's like, well, I mean, look at him. People are going to look at him and go, no, I don't want to be popular with you. You dress like uh, like the theater lesbian from High School Musical. <laughs> Kelsey? And, yeah, and, and you put on like silly costumes. Like, today you're a cowboy. Today you're very Malibu most wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can get why he would be considered a dork. And like, he's just trying to be someone else. He right. doesn't want to be him. He's he's saying like, oh, I want to be method. And it's like you're taking things for a spin. You you got a little bit of trans mask energy. He does have some trans mask energy. <laughs> like a, a, the baggy clothes and just co- like masculine costumes. Just it's a touch there. <laughs> I have actually read uh, a couple of like Tumblr pieces of people talking about like when they headcanon characters. He Carter does get popped up a lot as like a headcanon character. I, like, Oh, he's, the, the, you know, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be himself. So he's trying out all these different personas and, you know, cause it's easier than interrogating what's really going on inside. Well, cause they're macho personas. Right. So like it all, it all tracks. And like, he's so proud of himself when he gets to do something really butch by jumping over a balcony dressed as Zorro. Yes. And gets called Taco Boy by one of the jocks. We love mid 2000 racism. There, there's, there's a bit of, there's some, there's some racism peppered in here as well as like slut shaming and, and femme phobia. Like and this movie has so much of just it's like very the, 2004, but in like oh a really God. safe. Could yes. air on TV 2004 Yes, this way. is a sanitized 2004. This is what I think, like, people who didn't live in 2004 think it was like when we were like, no, it was terrible to grow up there. They think it was like this. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, that was like, ooh, I didn't like that comment. And it's like, no, it was way worse. We it have was 2004 horrible. at home, and this is the, the knockoff <laughs> of what actual 2004 is. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, we've got that. We've also, um, we didn't talk about... Fiona's daughters, her twin daughters, uh, Brianna and Gabriella. Yet, um, I love every version of the Wicked Stepsisters kind of bumbling fool slapstick comedy mm-hmm. that we see in every version of Cinderella. Sure, um, I love them. I do wish that they had more to do. I wish this movie went harder. I think we were very spoiled by Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella the musical mm-hmm. because they are on another level. They're they're fine. It's the same issue I have with Jennifer Coolidge, where it's like, well, this character doesn't go hard enough. And it's not the performance, it, it's the writing. Though there are several questionable things, like they're twins who don't even look like they're related, which isn't out of the question. It's just more of an, a thing of interest. Um, they have coordinated bugs that they drive, and one of them plays the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and the other one plays I Wish I Was in Dixie when they honk their horns. Right. Um, uh, questionable. They're from Southern California. Why do you have that? You're not the North or the South. I'm confused, but all right. Uh, it's <laughs> there's there's just a lot of odd choices. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird stuff going on there. I do think that they're very fun. I love the scene where they end up in the car wash and they come out with the wax and their hair is just doing the the spiky thing, uh, looking like Liberty Spikes. Big fan. Yeah, I uh, think that that's great. 
I like that when they go to the Halloween dance, uh, they were supposed to dress, again, Disney, uh, like the Siamese cats, but mm-hmm. instead they are conjoined twins. Which I kind of I kind of liked that as a costume. Um, I imagined the bathroom would be very difficult, but... <laughs> Watching them have to move around in tandem is really great. Yes. Um, it's, it adds for some really nice physical comedy, um, so I am a fan of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, they, yeah, they don't get to do as much as I would like. Um, I wish that they had more being ridiculous to her, I think, would have been beneficial. But they kind of put all of it on Fiona, mm-hmm. which is fine. I'm never going to be upset about more Jennifer, more Jennifer Coolidge. Like, please give me all of it. Yeah. Um, but I do think that she they should have treated them similarly to how it is in the 97 Cinderella where they're always like kind of like behind her at all mm. times. I think that would have really worked a little stronger. As as like a like a toady from the peanut gallery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I, I think that would be better. Um, also, this movie, I, I'm sure this is a joke that's probably very 2004, but it just kind of reads as silly to me. It feels It feels like an in-joke that the writers had because maybe they're like very Los Angeles, but like, they have this moment where these twins are talking to uh, Austin, who we'll talk about eventually, and they're like, well... He's such a nothing burger of a prince, but yes, we will. Every prince is like a nothing burger of a prince, but they're like, well, what... I, so, so Cinderella left something behind at the party. What is it? And one of their answers is a fish. Yeah, the first one says wallet, and then wallet purse, and they're like, what's a wallet purse? And in my head, I was like, it's a clutch. That is a thing, but uh-huh. sure. But yeah, the other one says fish. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's this like joke of fish like a running joke of fish through the whole movie where like they're really obsessed with like jennifer coolidge is really obsessed with salmon she only eats salmon they have like salmon specials at the diner like the fish is an answer here and i feel like that's a probably a very like in joke of like salmon's low calorie so everyone in los angeles eats salmon but it just scans as odd when without thinking about it no, you're absolutely right. Like, it's such a weird, constant theme of just fish showing up everywhere. Sure. Okay. Maybe that's, like, because they don't have mice, so fish. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's, but, just, it's just weird that it's a recurring thing. It, it Again, yeah. it feels like the writers had an in-joke where they were probably just like, I'm always at a diner. And people are always like, huh, is this low calorie? Is it salmon? Where they, like, we see that with the popular girls when they're trying mm-hmm. to order things. So I feel like that's where they're going with it. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And also the 2000s, like, fish was a big thing. Salmon BLTs? Yeah, because everyone was eating leaner and healthier. Mm-hmm. So it was salmon. Salmon. I mean, I do like me some salmon. I can't eat it because it would kill me. I like I like a tuna steak. I'm not that classy. <laughs> Sam! Is this Norwegian salmon that I asked for? Because I need my omega-3s. Only the best. Mm. Mm-hmm. I can tell. You know, it costs a fortune to fly that stuff in from Norwegia. So while we're continuing with our Cinderella motif, we have to talk about Regina King. Mm-hmm. So Regina King is one of the most talented actors and directors that has ever walked the planet. Um, this is during a part of her career where she was doing a lot of like rom-coms and weird comedies. Um, the being the teeny turn, the Tina Turner drag queen and Miss Congeniality too. Y- yes. <laughs> Um, this is kind of that era of her career, but what's so incredible is that like, even in a movie like this, which is not the most challenging material, she is so fucking good. Like Mm -hmm. I would watch a whole movie of this character just like living life. Um, 
I think I think that she's amazing. But she plays Rhonda, who is our de facto fairy godmother character. That's what she's here for. She is the adult figure that has always kind of been in Sam's corner, who knows that she deserves better and is kind of there for her to help serve as like a mentor. Mm-hmm. And I like that characterization because it's taking the fairy godmother trope and turning it into what is essentially an actual like godmother figure. Mm-hmm. Like her character is serving the role of a real life godparent. And I love that. I think that that's really clever and really smart. She's also such an empathetic character. She's real funny. I mean, when Carter is like being stupid with AAVE, she is very quick to call him on his bullshit, Mm -hmm. which I'm a huge fan of because that we're just starting to have those cultural conversations around 2004, 2005. Again, sweeping generalization, but as a cultural, as a whole, we were finally starting to interrogate like, we should probably not write people this way, like white people. This is fucked up. Like, maybe, let's, maybe we shouldn't just write dialogue that involves putting Izzel at the end of everything. Yeah, let's not do that. And I like that. I like that uh, Regina King is real quick to being like, if you call me girlfriend again, and it's just like, mm-hmm. yes, please <laughs> tell him to shut the fuck up. I love this. Um, but then, of course, I do have the other like uh, side of it in that she's the only like prominent black character in this entire movie, and she's serving like the sort of saviorish role for a white girl. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. Um, so this very much feels like, it's just it's very two thousands where like we're making some progress here, but at the same time, like this could have been thought out better. Yeah. Um, because I don't like that her main focus is basically like, let me take care of this white girl. Like, I don't like that. But I do like that it's I'm being a good godparent to this girl who clearly needs it. I do like that. Don't worry, BJ. The next year she does the boondocks. So <laughs> she gets to talk about white people a lot. <laughs> yes, she does. God, I love her so much. She's so great. Yes. Um, but I do think that she is sort of the emotional center of this entire movie. Um, a lot of it kind of hinges on the things that she says, the things mm-hmm. that she does, the the space she offers yes, for she, Sam. She's the confidant, even in like the horribly pink lady restyled diner. Mm-hmm. So like e- even in constantly like corrupt and changing times, there is a constant. And it's yes. the people at the diner, primarily her. Yes. And I, I think that that's great. And I love that she's also... She's just a bad bitch and she doesn't care. When they finally have the the big blow up where Sam is like, fuck you, Fiona, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Where am I? And she's like, well, where are you going to go? And Rhonda's like, she can come stay with me. I got her. We're, yeah. we're doing this. Also, I quit. Go fuck yourself. Also, it's she great. was going to punch her. Oh, yeah. She fully like <laughs> earrings were coming off and we were both like, oh, oh. <laughs> she's, yep. she's really going to go for it, uh-huh. uh, which I love that. And I would have loved to see that fight. It would have been just comedic gold mm-hmm. um what it would have been great um but we've gone long enough we should probably talk about austin he's he's a prince chad michael murray is this is his second appearance on our show his first one being in freaky friday mm-hmm. he sort of was the soft boy of the 2000s is the best way I can describe it. Where like he was very hunky, but like oh he has a very emotional center, he like can, an he can artist. Be tender. He can be tender, but he, he's built like a jock. Yeah, he's built like a jock, but he has like he's he's a soft boy, and I 
think that this version of his character is better in She's All That. I think Zack Seiler is a better version of this character because that's who he basically is. He's. Mm-hmm. I think Troy Bolton in High School Musical is a better version of this character uh-huh. um, because that's who he is. He is a jock who has a dad. Very, very paint by numbers. This teen story, especially, especially with the male characters. Oh God. Yeah. Like the women are a lot of cliches, but it's like, they spent way less time with the, the guys in this one, I think. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, he, he's playing football. His dad wants him to go to USC, but he wants to go to Princeton. No dad. This is your dream. I'm throwing away your dream. Oh (laughs) God. I, I said it coming verbatim when it was happening. I was like, oh, he's going to say it. He's going to say the thing. It's the fucking Simpsons meme where it's like, Bart, say the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's it's very frustrating because like he's the popular boy because he's in football. He obviously comes from money, but he works at the car wash because it's the family business. And dad, his dad, dad wants is, to build some character for him. And his dad's also like priming him to take over after he goes to college. It's like, this is going to be yours, so you need to be here now. But he wants to go to Princeton, and dad's like, no, no, you need to go to like Southern California. He wants to go to USC. Yeah, so he's like, that's where I want you to go because that that's where we've always gone. That's where I went, and that's, that's part of your legacy. But he's like, no, dad, I want to go to Princeton because... I don't know why he because just he does. also like he writes poetry and he wants to like do something more intellectual and yeah. so the the way that he knows Cinderella is that he met her online so Princeton gal eight one eight I think what's is her what's, name. what's the program they something something you were like oh I've had some times talking on this. I don't remember. It's, it it's, was, so, it's it's a lot of it's basically an aim. Yeah, it's basically aim, and he like is going under as like nomad or whatever. Sure. Which like again, soft boy. He's like a nomad. He's a man of the world. He's, um, he's he's a traveling man. But he's he's revealed that he is, you know, one of those jockey boys who's kind of stuck in a difficult position where he is in this like specific social circle. He doesn't necessarily want to be there. He feels like he has to act and be a certain way in order to maintain that standing. And the only person he's ever really been able to be honest with is this person online. I do think that that's interesting Mm -hmm. because that is very much a thing that I think we don't analyze or break down enough in teen movies. Like we kind of do a little bit in Mean Girls, specifically with Gretchen, where it's like Gretchen knows it's better to be in the plastics hating life than to not be in there at all. And that's very much where he's at. Like he knows it's better for him to date this awful girl he does not like and to be with these guy friends that he thinks are really inappropriate Mm -hmm. and be on the football team and do these things that appease his dad because that gives him a social capital that he would otherwise not have. Yeah, I mean. Um, Like I get it, but also like. Well, Come on. Look, look what happens when he raises Shelby's ire. Yeah. She puts on an entire stupid play oh where Diner Girl falls into a pie. And like, mind you, there's a cheering crowd and they are not miked. I'm just going to, from a technical aspect, <laughs> I just want to go to call bullshit. But um, she, she, she is a mean girl with a flair for the dramatics. I wouldn't want to put up with that. <laughs> Unfortunately, he put him. Yeah. He's ended up in a in a sticky pickle. Yeah. So he though like there's just like nothing about him outside of like Chad Michael Murray is just kind of universally dreamy. Mm-hmm. That really makes him a compelling prince to me. Like in Freaky Friday, I completely understand why Lindsay Lohan's character is into him. I completely understand why Jamie Lee Curtis with Lindsay Lohan inside of her is into him. Like I get that character. Mm-hmm. This guy, like he's just, he's a popular guy and he, I guess has 
sentimental soul because he can write poetry. Like, there's just nothing really there for me. So I don't want to feed into necessarily, like, bad critic reviews from 18 years ago by saying, like, oh, well, you know, Hilary Duff and Chad Michael Murray, they're two pretty people that get that look pretty together because, like, they're the romantic leads that they were cast to do that. But... If you want to see, like, sort of the animidity of this costume party in terms of relationship dynamics, the way more um, uh, uh, left field one is Carter and Shelby, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, no, I get why these two wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't talk to each other. Yeah. Like, this makes sense. But, like, if you unmask Diner Girl, he could probably look at her and go, no, but she's cute. Mm-hmm. And, like, that that's not totally out of the realm of possibility, which I guess makes this, it, it roots it back down into, like, a reality tale and not a fantasy of the fairy tale. Right. Um, and I mean, like, with our, our Cinderella motif, she doesn't lose a slipper, she loses a cell phone, which also, like, I feel like a cell phone is an important thing to have, especially in this time period. Like, if you lost that, that's not, like, an easily replaceable thing. Thing at this time period, no, especially and when like, you're a girl who's working, yeah, you kind of need that back. Yeah. Um. So the fact that she Gotta goes on, the fryer. <laughs> she goes on like a very long time without having the cell phone. I'm like, I don't know if I buy that. Be riddled with anxiety, <laughs> right? Fiona's gonna beat your ass for losing that cell phone. Are you kidding me? Um. So yeah, that I don't really fully get. I also don't fully buy that he doesn't recognize her without the masquerade mask because no one else at school looks like her. No, um, I mean, I will, I, I'll say that her hair's curly when she's in her mask and it's normally straight. No one else has those blonde bangs. I checked. I'm just saying. <laughs> and then, oh boy. And th- then they have like a dating game thing where his friends like, it, it's the fairy tale part where everyone would be trying on the shoe and see if it fits. Like the cell phone's kind of not really a huge factor. No, like, it's, it's really not, not like It's not like, oh, the password, uh, the cell phone's locked with a password. Do you know the password? Can you unlock it? Like that's the shoe fitting thing. It's just kind of like, I lost a phone. And that's it. The phone's not really a thing right. that she gets back or uses. So there's this dating show. Even his like advertisement of like, who are you, is her silhouette with the hair and no face. Yeah. So I don't know. The, the, the whole process of going about this is very odd. Um, and then the dating thing is like, <laughs> it's really mean because it's just his friends hooking up a line of people being like, yeah, I was Cinderella. And it's like, Oh, you're a bodybuilding fat girl. No, next. Yeah, they're so mean. Like, again, this movie is so 2000s. But again, it is like the the tame version of the 2000s. Like, real 2000s was way meaner than this. Yeah. And like, speaking of tame, Lynn Shay's here. And they do nothing with her. Right. Lynn Shay is one of the funniest, like, character actors. And she is barely here. And this isn't like, oh, she's a nobody. Like... She's done a lot. She did a lot in the 90s. Like, obviously. This is post something about Mary. We, of course. And, like, we obviously love her a lot in Detroit Rock City. She's really good in Kingpin. Like, she's a funny, loud character. And she's just here. She's just here wearing that torrid dress with cherries on it. I think that this is maybe, this might usurp Alice and Janney in Hairspray for the most underutilized character in terms of casting. Like, you did not get the right bang for your buck by bringing her in here and then not doing anything with her as principal. Mm-hmm. No, I agree completely. It's like, it's so weird. She gets to make the announcement of like, who's the homecoming king and queen. 
And apparently, like, it's chosen by teachers. Like, like it's a dance-off in Greece or something where she just walks around with a clipboard and then chooses. it. Uh, they look nice together. Sure, I sure. guess. Um, but, yeah, they, like, completely waste her. And it's really frustrating because it's like, no, but she's really funny. Like, they could have really done something here with her. And they, yeah. just, they just didn't. I don't know. Um, so there's, like, a couple other things that happen that are, like, you know, pretty shitty and terrible. Obviously, Fiona finds out that... Sam is going to go to Princeton and does the meanest thing in the world, which is forges a rejection letter because, well, now you can work at the diner forever. Mean. Like, that is the meanest part of anything she does in this movie. That's the worst. Yes. So um, I, what, what were you saying where it's like ex- something movies always get wrong is that the acceptance letters don't come in the right envelopes or something? Something that makes me lose my mind. This movie does it right. Acceptance letters always come with like folders. Like they're huge. Like they're these big packets. Well, it's got, probably got all the like admissions. It has all your admission stuff, all your welcome packets. And, yeah. It has everything in there that makes to sense. be like, hey, congrats. And then rejection letters, those come in like smaller envelopes. But in movies all the time, they have them come in the same size envelopes. And it's like, that's not how this works. Um, so or is this a tax return or is right, it a bill? <laughs> right. So the fact that this does it right always makes me really happy because many movies don't. And it drives me crazy pants. Yeah. Um, so yeah. No, this does do it right, which then that makes Fiona's forgery even more evil because it does come in the small envelope, which is the rejection envelope size. She's a teen. She doesn't know that. She's never gotten a rejection letter or an acceptance right. letter. How would right. she know? <laughs> so that's an attention to detail they, they paid that I, I quite appreciate. Um, so, I mean, th- this movie also just has so many wacky hijinks in it. I mean, at one point, Carter crashes his dad's car into the diner sign and ruins the car like the sign falls on it very uh it's an american graffiti style thing which i guess makes sense for the diner Uh like that's what it feels like um i don't know i i don't know if any of the slapstick really goes hard enough i I would say to go hard the only time it ever really gets close to going hard enough is when the stepsisters are fighting in the car wash yeah it's like okay cool Where's this energy the rest of the movie? Yeah, there needs to be a lot more goofiness in this movie for me. Like, A Cinderella Story to me is somewhere in between, like, a really delightful teen movie and, like, a camp movie. But it Mm -hmm. doesn't go far enough in either direction. So it sort of just sits in this own weird universe that doesn't feel like a decom. It feels kind of like a Lifetime movie. In a okay. weird way. Like, it has that sort of energy where it just, it doesn't go hard enough in either direction for me. Either way, it feels like a made-for-TV movie. Either way, it feels like a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. But, like, this, obviously, the, the story is so easy to understand. It is familiar. It's fun. It's very cute. So I'm not surprised in any stretch of the imagination that this became a franchise. Like, it, it just makes sense to me. And I think the reason that this became a franchise, whereas something like Sydney White did not, is because this is so simple. Mm-hmm. Because you can kind of regurgitate this over and over again. Whereas, like, Sydney White, like, they really did try to break down some systemic shit. Yeah. Obviously not well. Yeah, um, it but was they the tri- 2000s. It's they the still 2000s. took a stab at it. Yeah, they tried. Um, whereas this, like, I don't think... I think it's more kitschy than anything. Um, so you can very easily plug and chug different families into the storyline and continue it going and people will be satisfied with it. Okay, I know that you think that I'm just some... Coward. Phony. Okay, just listen. No, you listen. You turned out to be exactly who I thought you were. I never pretended to be somebody else. It's been me all along. And it was me who was hurt in front of everybody. Look, I didn't come here to yell at you, okay? 
I came to tell you that I know what it feels like to be afraid to show who you are. I was, but I'm not anymore. And the thing is, is I really don't care what people think about me. Because I believe in myself. And I know that things are going to be okay. And even though I have no family, and no job, and no money for college, it's you that I feel sorry for. Heads up. Yo, five minutes. I'm coming. I know that guy that sent those emails is somewhere down inside of you. But I can't wait for him. Because waiting for you is like waiting for rain in this drought. Useless and disappointing. So something that this movie does, though, that I do really like is that as much as it does end, obviously, with a kiss and with, you know, Prince Charming and Cinderella getting together, because of course it does. In the bleachers, because... She's not on the field with the cheer captain. No, she's in the bleachers. <laughs> wearing sneakers. <laughs> wearing those hot pink Converse. Uh-huh. Um, I will say, okay, before I get into my, my point I was making, the the formal dress with Converse thing really took off after this movie because of the poster. Uh-huh. I'm not mad about it. I think it's a great look. I love it. <laughs> I think... Roxy Carmichael did it first. Well, yeah, but she also <laughs> used boots, which was better. Yeah, fair. Um, I agree. But something that I do like in this is that this movie, as much as like she does get the guy in the end, is not actually about getting the guy. It's about Sam standing up for herself. Sure. And I love that message. I love that she you know, sticks it to Fiona and she moves out and she decides that she's going to do things her own way and take care of herself. She tells off Austin and tells him that like she – well, one, she breaks into the boys' locker room, which is – I'm, can That's we such please, a common trope in Can we things. retire this trope from teen movies? I haven't seen it in recent movies in a while, which is a good thing. But in the 2000s, this happened a lot. We're like <laughs> stomp in and be like, eh, there's nothing I haven't seen before. Yeah, don't do that. Just for decades where it was just, that I was a thing. <laughs> I hate it. I think it's a weird trope. But yeah, she tells him off and you know she's like, I feel sorry for you because... I have always been who I am. I've never tried to hide who I am, and you do, and that's pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's drought metaphors because it's Los Angeles, and there's been drought metaphors the whole movie. The, the, the drought metaphors are conveyed to us through morning announcement by the actually cool alternative girl. Yeah, oh, I love her. Yeah, I, she's great. I would want to be friends with her. And she ends up getting with Carter at the end, and you know what? Good for him. Yeah, that those, makes sense. Those to two me. make sense. They make sense to me. The cool alt girl and the weird theater kid absolutely make sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's like the weird drought metaphors. But ultimately, this is a movie about a girl standing up for herself and coming into her own identity and just living out her life the way she wants to, mm-hmm. which I like. In all actuality, I think I would prefer this movie if she didn't end up with him at all at the end. Well, then what's she working towards? Right. And she'd be working towards freedom. But like, uh, again, in terms of in terms of simple (laughs) storytelling, there needs to be romance. Yes. That's how these movies were built and structured every single time. So something else that I wanted to ask you about, because this movie also comes out in a very weird time period. Okay. So the 2000s were awful, as we know. But the 2000s were also like the peak era for celebrity gossip. And I think a massive part of why this movie was so in favor and why so many people went to see it is because of the off-screen drama that happened. Okay. So what do you know about the rivalry between Lindsay Lohan and Hilary Duff? Not a damn thing because I did not care. (laughs) I I was like a 13-year-old boy. I had other things to not care about because I was being disaffected. So 
I'm going to give you a minor crash course on this. And I will also add the caveat that in hindsight, this is far more sad because it starts with Aaron Carter, who oh. recently passed away. So Hillary Duff and Aaron Carter were dating when they were like 13, 14. Like they are children. Sure. Um, he did a guest spot on Lizzie McGuire. They started dating. Well, how this rivalry sort of happened is that Aaron Carter then started dating Lindsay Lohan while he was still dating Hillary Duff. And okay. of course, rather than be mad at him, they then became mad at each other. There was years of going like back and forth where they would like pop up at each other's premieres to, you know, just <laughs> I'm here kind of thing, like be a little antagonizing. Uh-huh. They were never just, like just being a, a burdensome cloud just looming overhead. Exactly. Right. Um, they were never like outright horrible the way some of the other like celebrity rivalries were at that time period. But like still it was a thing and people talked about it. So there was a lot of discussion when a Cinderella story was announced specifically because Hillary Duff was starring opposite Chad Michael Murray who, as we've discussed, the year prior was in Freaky Friday with Lindsay Lohan. Sure. So now Hillary's in this movie with someone that Lindsay was just with. There were all these, like, alleged reports that Lindsay was calling Chad Michael Murray to, like, shit on Hillary Duff, like, during production. Obviously, a lot of this is, like, paparazzi gossip. One nice thing, though, is that in more recent years, the two of them have both been like, yeah, we're adults. That was bullshit. We were children. Like, that was so dramatic and sure. unnecessary, which th- I'm very thankful that they they do that. But the the fact that this sort of, like, paparazzi gossip nonsense was used as, like, it was used as marketing. Like, people wanted to see if Hillary Duff was going to be better with Chad Michael Murray than Lindsay Lohan was. And that's such a weird thing to me. Like that's just seems like a very weird reason to want to see a movie, but mm-hmm. that's absolutely a thing that happened. And we haven't seen that happen in a very long time until very recently with don't worry, darling. That's exactly what I was going to say. I legitimately to give you an idea of like how consistent I am with this. Cause now you're speaking something that I've experienced. I legitimately muted all of the words that had to do with Don't Worry Darling because I got so sick of hearing about it so fast. And within, to, within like 18 hours of like the spit or whatever, mm-hmm. I was like, nope, I'm out. I'm annoyed to shit. Like I'm moving on. I got other things to do. So I want you to think about like how annoying that all was and understand that that is how like magazines made their money for months on Fuck the off, two Perez of them. Hilton. Like fuck press. I'm just gonna yell at him because I'm sure he did it all the time. Oh my god, awful. But yeah, there was like a very real, like formulated rivalry in the media of the two of them, and like that's the thing that they've both talked about is they're like we were never actually like that mean to each other, but because of the way that like paparazzi would be like, did you hear what so and so said about you? Then it made these situations worse Mm -hmm. because they were making money off this. Like, it's it's awful. Like, it's so terrible. But, like, part of why this movie is so successful is because of fucking drama between teenagers. Because they are, t- they are teenagers. Mm-hmm. Hilary Duff was learning how to drive on the set of this movie. And, ah, like, it's so frustrating. And we talk about, like, the manipulation and the machine and, you know, what have you. She escaped the Disney machine and got thrown headfirst into 
the aughts era paparazzi. That is the fucking worst. The aughts era paparazzi was not kind to girls who escaped the Disney machine. No, they were so ruthless. Uh-huh. And like the fact that Hilary Duff is still acting and is still like for for all intents and purposes seems pretty well adjusted mm-hmm. is shocking to me. Um, absolutely shocking to me. But, you know, that's that's what happened. Like, that's yeah. what happened with this movie. And that is just wild. <laughs> yeah. and, and Lindsay Lohan seems to be really uh, getting her stuff together. Which she's I'm happy she's for her. having a Lohana sense, and I'm very proud of her because yeah. she's been through some shit. Yeah. And I think a major difference is that Hillary Duff did have a very supportive family. I mean, her sister's also an actor. Um, she had support. Lindsay did not. Lindsay mm-hmm. had opportunistic parents and we have seen the effects of that and how it affected her. Um, I mean, as, as someone who goes on many tirades about how much they, they love Brian Wilson pretty much daily. Cause I do adore him. I'm just happy for anybody who manages, who manages to survive through like really terrible personal situations that people put them in. Um, and when she says Brian Wilson, she's talking about the guy from the beach boys for those that don't know who that is. Oh, yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> Brian Wilson. Had, you talk about him like he's your old pal. <laughs> I just he I wish he was. I just want to I just want to say like <laughs> I just want to like bake him cookies and say like, I hope you're having a nice day because he deserves it. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> so like anybody who's gone through like several decades of just nonstop bullshit. Good. I'm I'm glad that you are coming out the other side and like have survived it, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, Harmony. The time has come. A Cinderella story is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her tickets so she can go on her own? So I think I say this with like most of the episodes we end up covering, but this is an interesting situation to be in. Cause um as far as like watching this goes, I didn't really care. Um I've seen everything this movie does with a different coat of paint. Probably half a dozen times just doing this show, not counting like the infinite other things out there that I haven't seen yet. Mm -hmm. So I think being in your 30s is probably a bad time to watch this for the first time. Probably. (laughs) Um, I am not the target demographic, but I don't think it actually does anything wrong. I think that this is probably a perfectly fine movie if you haven't seen everything else that it does a million times. Mm-hmm. But judging it as a film, I think that there are a lot of movies, including other Cinderella's, <laughs> that are better and uh, better made and have better themes and are are just, I don't know, more interesting than this one. Mm-hmm. So... D- d- don't take this as a personal affront, anybody, but I'm, I'm going to say no. Okay. Because you're allowed I, to say no. I think that, um, especially with like 2000s mean spiritedness, um, but like a really tame version of mean spiritedness and like a really tame version of camp. I don't think that there's a reason to really discover this one for the first time. I think if you were the right age to have watched it, then you know, you are maybe like a grown woman and you enjoy it for that. Or maybe you're like a 36 year old gay and you appreciate it for that. Um, but otherwise, I, I don't think there's a reason to like show this to, to new kids or new adults, really. No, I agree. And I do think that it's telling what the legacy of this movie is, that if you type in a Cinderella story into a gift bar, you don't get Hillary Duff. You don't get any of that. You get Jennifer Coolidge. 
Yeah. And it's specifically with the tanning goggles on with the, you're not very pretty and you're not very bright. I'm so glad we had that talk. I Again, Jennifer Coolidge is great. I've just, this is not her strong, this is not down to earth. Like, <laughs> there's so many other Look, movies. she's, she's really fun. That's a, another Regina King movie. She's uh-huh. in that too. They're yeah. both in that. <laughs> like, she is so much funnier in so many other things. And yeah. this is just maybe the most uninterested I've seen in Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah, she does. And that's she unfortunate. Deserves, she deserves to be doing better, but uh, she's doing great work with what she's been given. I And I will say, like, I, again, I I have the energy of an old man watching this movie <laughs> to the point where it finally rains and my instinct is, well, we needed the rain. <laughs> you said that literally three days ago when it rained. Yeah, we had just gotten way too much pizza and pasta with former guest of the show, Vanessa Guerrero, and soon-to-be guest Matt Donato. Yeah, we were walking in the rain, and you're just like, well, we really needed it. We were having our own Los Angeles adventure in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, it just, I, it, I, that's all I got. That's fine, that's all you have to have. <laughs> all right, friends, well, we hope you enjoyed this discussion. Sorry if anybody's feelings are hurt. I like the movie, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, which I keep saying every single day, I'm going to use Instagram more, and then I haven't. Uh, but I'm working on it. Uh, you can follow me on, the, on those places at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool band you want people to check out this week inspired by a Cinderella story? So speaking of future things, uh, like with, you know, having Matt Donato on the show to talk about Anna and the Apocalypse next week, which will be a delight, um, we're actually going to go and see the band that I'm plugging this week, next week. They yeah, are, we are. They are a Southern California uh, pop punk band called Suzy True. I wanted something with like some polish and some like strong girl energy, but also be like very fun and like almost Disney, but not Disney. And Susie True is super fun. Um, they play a lot in our area, and I'm really excited that they're playing a set with Jer from Scott Network because they actually do one of my favorite Scott Network songs. Uh, they're the version of Blank Space that they do. Outside of that, they have a full album called Saddest Girl at the Party from a couple years ago, and just recently released a new single called Backburner. They're they're all very nice. I I think they pitch themselves as. Like, if the Powerpuff Girls started a Blink-182 band. <laughs> what a great way to pitch them. Yeah, I, I believe that's how they're self-described. So, uh, check check Suzy True out. They're super tight. Amazing. All right, friends, we will see you next week. We're going to start getting a little more festive. Festive by us, which means this is a lot of blood. <laughs> which means weird as shit. <laughs> but thanks for listening. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye.
Now that you're old enough, there's something I've always wanted to tell you, and I think you're ready to hear it. You're not very pretty, and you're not very bright. I'm so glad we had that talk. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.